Introducing Minor Wisdom Quintet. This week I've got Maggie Booze. Maggie Booze has been at East Central, which East Central, by the way, that high school sounds like something you'd hear in Say by the Bell, but she went or she is at East Central High School in the San Antonio area. But Maggie is one of the people that actually came recommended by my podcast pimp, uh, Stuart Savage. And Stuart has been telling me who I need to have on. So if you don't like who I've had on, I'm not paying Stuart anything, so I feel really bad to tell him to stop. So if you don't like who I've had on a couple times and who I have coming up, then I guess contact Stuart maybe and tell him, hey man, these people suck. Like, oh my God. Just kidding. But the, these people, one, Stuart's right. All these people that I'm having on by his recommendation, that's not everybody that I've ever had on. Like, don't get me wrong. Some of these people I know or want to get to know, but Stuart has a good, uh, I guess, sense of who are good people because I'm one of his friends. So I have to trust him and just trust that he's making the right decision since he made the right decision to be my boo. And speaking of booze, Maggie Booze is on this week. I'm sure she hears that all the time. I'm so sorry, Maggie, because I know you're probably listening, but um, it was really fun to talk to her. And this isn't really like, it's weird. Not, well, not weird. It's great. But Maggie, and I hope she doesn't mind me saying it, but she puts it out online. Uh, she has done a transformation, has taken part in a transformation of her health. And you can see that if you're friends with her online. And I won't get into too much more because I don't know too many details because that's not really what we talked about. But uh, she has had a, a huge transformation. Um, and it looks as though on her Facebook that she's also doing that uh, with friends or with people that she knows at least. And so that's amazing. Um, and good for Maggie and good for the people that have taken advantage of this time that we're in right now to kind of get better, get themselves in better shape, uh, starting to eat better. You know, it's funny, I was, well, not funny, but I was talking to my oldest daughter on the way home today, uh, and I was telling her, I was joking with her that uh, Mommy and Gamma, my mother-in-law who lives with us, they are on a diet, and when Mommy and Gamma go on a diet, because it's a, it's a, you know, they get meals uh, from a place, I'm not going to say that place because they're not paying me, but anyway, uh, when they, when they go on a diet, then daddy gains weight because I start to eat all the food that I want. And I can go out, I can get chicken wings, um, which by the way, got into a heated discussion about where the best chicken wings are with some people. I think for uh, a chain, Wingstop is the best. Anyway, I digress. Also, you have to get Wingstop, you have to get them to extra crispy them, fry them longer, if, if you will. Because then they're, oh, oof. anyway, so, uh, uh, but I've gained weight. I've gained the COVID-19. I don't want to make light of this coronavirus, but I, I've, you know, people talk about it. Uh, and so I'm people, but I've gained the 19 and I'm okay with it because uh, I hold weight well in my stomach. Um, and since we're gone, we've gone virtual and I'm sitting at a desk, none of these, all these kids are going to be like minor. Wow, you look good, bro. And I'm going to be like, 
I don't feel good. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so speaking of uh, going virtual, this week, we, uh, as this re- is recording, this is a Saturday, uh, and we go virtual in 48 hours uh, with the students. And we are on Microsoft Teams in my district, and we took part in professional development with Microsoft Teams all last week and a couple days before that. So for seven days, we took part in Microsoft Teams meetings. And yes, it was rough to begin with. And yes, there are a lot of naysayers that don't want to do it because they're like, we're so used to Zoom. But I don't know if you remember March or early April, but you weren't used to Zoom then and you got used to Zoom. You now have to learn something else. Welcome to education and you will eventually get good with that. And if we continue virtual for the rest of our lives, guess what? The district's going to change it every two to three years because that is what school districts do. That's like their MO. They're like, oh, you guys finally learned something and you're proficient? Boom, changed it. So anyway, I'm, I'm excited about Microsoft Teams because people like me, and there are a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are similar, that thrive in the technology world. And so this is not much of a challenge. The challenge is to make things interesting. The, the technology part isn't the challenge. The challenge is to make the educational part interesting. So speaking of that, as I check my Facebook, I'm at five thousand plus views on the video that I dropped last week of my little intro for my students this year. And yes, it was a fun little thing. It is not a creative idea. Other people have done it in the past. Uh, Again, I'm a teacher. I steal. That's what good teachers do. They see something they like. They steal it in hopes that nobody has ever seen it before. So I have 5,100 views plus and uh, again, I stole it. But it, what I think I did, and I'm okay with this, and I'm okay bragging about this, I think I inspired some people to make uh, some interesting opening videos as well. And I'm okay with that. That part of it is fun. And if, and if you're one of those people, you're welcome. <laughs> but also, screw you. Screw you, Joy Hughes, for making a video better than mine. If you aren't friends with Joy Hughes, spelled J-O-I, then either become friends with her or go check out her little intro video. And Joy, when, not if, when I see you again, whew, you better, you better be, we're going to have a, we're going to have a a video off. Okay. You're not at 5.1 yet, but if you get, if you pass me up, so help me Abraham, Isaac, and Moses, I will come find you. Anyway, enough about all that. I hope everybody's doing well. Oh, one more thing. Uh, TETA and thespians. Yes, I help with both. I assist with both. I do exhibits for both. As of now, I don't know this for a fact, so I probably shouldn't put it out there in podcast world, but, but, but I haven't been told otherwise. I don't believe at TETA we're going to have exhibitors, um, because I personally have, haven't been told one way or another, uh, we put together some information and I think what just, it just became the, the timeline became too quick. Things are coming up very quickly. Uh, however, for thespians for not only the big festival 
in October and November, the Super Saturdays. But for Texas, uh, the the Educator Conference, the Texas Thespian Educator Conference that will happen in late January, we will have exhibitors for those uh, two events. So I just wanted to give you guys a heads up for that. Probably shouldn't have said all that on the podcast. You know what? It's mine. It's mine. I get to do what I want. Hope you guys enjoy Maggie Booz this week. It, she's so fun. Like she's and she's super knowledgeable. And if you ever need somebody to do anything creatively, <laughs> and who doesn't, go get Maggie Booz. Don't don't get Stuart Savage. He's only good at being my podcast pimp. That's about it. Oh, and building cool stairs that come out of the wall. Enjoy Maggie Booz. All right. Hello, I'm Maggie Booz. And I uh, grew up in Lavernia, Texas, which at the time was a smaller 3A high school. And so we only did theater a couple days a week. And I was also involved in a lot of other organizations. So when I got to college, I really had no idea what theater actually was when I started majoring in theater. And I felt really behind the curve from kids who had come from some bigger high schools. And I always wanted to teach theater. And so I became passionate about helping kids have access to resources and the education that I felt behind when I went to college. So I really wanted to make sure that I was providing those opportunities. I got a little sidetracked while I was in college and uh, decided I wanted to be a professional props person So when I first graduated, I did that for two years at the Dallas Theater Center, but um, education always was tugging on my heartstrings, and frankly, I missed competition, (laughs) and so I did alternative certification and taught at a teeny tiny 1A school, shout out to the Valley View Eagles, Um, and you know, I'm always really, really grateful for my time there because I was a lone ranger. I was also teaching fifth grade English at the time, um, and it was kind of uh, trial by fire, right, or baptism by fire, I should say, and so I really felt like also being in a small school, you have such an incredible support system of teachers from other disciplines um, who really helped me become a decent educator, right, after not really taking many education classes in college. Uh, And then I wanted to be closer to my family. So I came back to the San Antonio area and now I'm at East Central, which is a 6A high school. Um, We have about 3,300 students, but we're the only high school in our district. So we're kind of an unusual 6A high school when I'm talking to a lot of other 6A teachers. So our district is the second largest square acreage district in the state. And so what that means is we reach down into this rural area, um, typically very white and also typically higher income. And then we reach up into the South side of San Antonio. Um, So very, very low socioeconomic status. So it's this very interesting blend of cultures that we have happening at our school. Uh, And so that's, that's an interesting thing to work with. It's interesting to see sometimes the disconnect between um, the community and then what I think my, my students experience is, And so trying to marry that, right? Like make sure I'm keeping my job and make sure that I'm also honoring the stories that my students need to have told. So that's where we're at right now. 
Cool. And and how long did you, did you say how long you've been there? I've been at East Central. This will be my ninth year at okay. East Central, 11th year teaching. And how are you alone or do you have partners? I have a partner. Okay. Um, I got a new partner last year, but she's amazing. She's just a real source of light and warmth and helps me be a better person every day. So I've been really blessed to have good coworkers. Do you fancy yourself as uh, acting uh, director or tech director, or are you guys just kind of more collaborative and you take care of the roles that need to be taken care of? I definitely head up the acting directing portion now. When I first started at East Central, I actually started as the tech person. And then when that person left, I, I moved into that role. Right. Um, but we switch back and forth. So in a perfect world, right, it's not going to happen this year. But yeah. uh, I direct the fall show and then and the head director for the one-act play. But then I design and TD for the musical. Okay. Um, last year, I directed the musical because she was new. And I thought that was a little much. Uh, so, and I'm very flexible. I truly believe that theater is at its best when it's a collaborative art form. And so, you know, I really try to listen to the needs and desires of my coworker because I don't want to inhibit their creativity either. Right. So do you, other than do you, one act, I probably, that's a hard yeah. one to give up. Did you, uh, and, and part, you know, I'm treating you like my wife right now. I'm asking you questions that you might've already answered, but uh, did, did you say what size of a school you went to when you were, when you were a student? Yeah, so it was a 3A, okay, okay. and I had a graduating class of, a, I think, 160, 180, okay. somewhere in there. So, did, so you've kind of, you've kind of, and that was 3A back when there was only 5A, correct? Right. So, yeah, so it was the middle, quote unquote, the middle of the road. But uh, did you, as a teacher, did you have kind of a, a culture shock when you went from 1A, also being the fifth grade English teacher, to now you're at 3,000? You're, you're at a small town pretty much for that's inside of one building. Was that kind of a culture shock to you or did you, uh, and not, and I'm not talking about the demographics. I just mean this, the fact that now you have, you, before you had a hundred kids at the school now you have a hundred kids in your program, you know, at least. Uh, so how was that for you? I think the first few years for sure, there was a culture shock. I think I was really, lucky that when I first started at East Central, it was a really small program, actually. Um, the program had kind of been demolished by some, just, you know, some, some bad luck. Uh, it was no one's fault. But so when I first started at East Central, I only taught like three classes of theater. And then I was teaching professional communications the other half of the day, um, which was a semester long course. And so the benefit of that was, is I'm getting new students every semester. And so I felt like I started to get to know a greater body of the student population. So that was helpful. Um, and then, you know, theater teachers, we always just stay in our little caves. Like we don't. Yeah. So yeah. I think it felt like I had a small community of kids that I was really close to and some faculty that I was getting to know. Um, especially being, I also am the speech coach. So I got to know some UIL academic coaches and, and that helped. So I think those moments, you know, teaching professional communications, coaching some UIL stuff to step outside of the theater world helped me grow a community of support at, at East Central when I first started. Yeah. yeah. Theater teachers like to stay in their own cave in hopes that you stay out of the cave. 
unless mm-hmm. you're buying a ticket. In that case, you can come into the cave. <laughs> so that's that's our recruitment. Yeah. Uh, and so, I'm learning that's not super healthy. No. <laughs> um, and the more I allow people to get to know me, you know, let my walls down, get a little vulnerable. Maybe I've started sharing like a calendar I make for myself that I'm going to use to map out our productions or my lesson plans. I've started sharing it with the entire fine arts team. That felt really safe at first. Okay, well, then now that started building some more relationships. And then um, in March, when, you know, everything went remote, I started making videos of myself creating Google resources to teach my fellow faculty members how to easily create spreadsheets and create some some systems to, to help their organization. And that was really scary to email that out to the entire faculty. But again, I knew that if I could make myself vulnerable, then I'm putting eyes on our department and I'm showing the theater department is part of the greater community of the school. And that will help bring people to our productions and ultimately yeah. get more attention for my students. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to sound like a hypocrite right now because I was pushing that agenda initially, but uh, I, I'm the same way. I, I mean, I the, the school I, I've just left, I was always the guy that was taking part in spirit days and maybe taking it over the top and doing all that stuff to just, yeah, it brings attention to you and it's positive attention. You don't, you know, you never want that negative attention. There is such thing as bad press. <laughs> so uh, but yeah, I, I totally agree with that, that, you know, putting yourself out there as a, as a program, regardless of the program, um, theater in our case, but that it's, it's always going to benefit you in the long run. Cause they're also going to, they're going to have your back. So, uh, and the, and they appreciate you having theirs. So the speaking of, I wanted to talk about recruitment cause you, you're the only school. So you, you only really recruit from within your walls because there's no need to necessarily go to try to get, cause, cause in our district we have, uh, academies. So a, a, a kid that's on the far side of the district might be coming to the opposite side school because of an academy. So we, we recruit within our entire, uh, county pretty much, uh, for you, you're recruiting in your walls. What do you do? What is your kind of like, uh, magic, uh, potion that, that gets kids to, get into your program and and keep the program growing? Well, I want to say first that I am not going to claim at all that I have figured it out. You don't have a magic potion. (laughs) No one ever has. (laughs) I think the biggest thing is making your program a safe space and making it a place where kids want to be. And For me, that is providing leadership opportunities for kids. So one of the biggest recruitment tools that I have found helps is I do senior-directed one-act plays. And we run it. Honestly, my favorite place to put it in my season is right at the end of the fall semester. And we do the performance right before we leave for Christmas. And I know that seems like an odd place to celebrate your seniors because everyone's like end of the year. I have found that my seniors are already checked out by the end of the year. And if I put it right there, then guess what I just gave myself at least six weeks to work on my one act play while my seniors 
are doing this incredible thing for my program. And I tell my seniors, you're going to direct the way I direct. I'm not helping you. I might come hop into rehearsals and then kind of side coach my seniors, but I don't want to take away from their power. So they're the director. Like I, I am very hands-off on that process. Yeah, I agree with that. And yeah. so I've given myself some work time. I've set my seniors up as leaders so that when we're in one act play season, they're already respected. They're already listened to. They have empathy for me because they know what it's like. And uh, so that's very helpful. And then we open those auditions up to the entire campus and really, really promote those auditions because those shows only rehearse a few days a week. They're smaller shows. And that has brought a ton of kids into our department because they'll get hooked through the senior showcase and then be willing to devote more and more time to the bigger, more, more strenuous productions. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, we, we, we did that too. But again, we did it at the end and you're right. Seniors kind of, they're so excited about it for about half, maybe three quarters of the year. And then you get there. And I, I was the same way. I would explain to them, I'm the facilitator. I'm only going to open doors for you and I'll be here to make sure you guys aren't burning the school down. But other than that, you know, uh, it's again, like you said earlier, it's the baptism by fire. It's, you know, I want you to fail. I would tell them all the time. I I'm expecting you to fail. And I think it's good that you fail. Uh, because that's how you're going to learn to get better and be motivated. That's good. You mentioned that you love competition uh, or that you missed competition. That is, I, you didn't say you loved it. You just said you missed it, <laughs> but I do love it. <laughs> so what is it, what is it about the competition? Like, you know, there are a lot of opinions about how one act play uh, benefits the, the, the state and, you know, there are the, we shouldn't make art, competition side and there's the side that says well the only reason you have a job is because we have made art a competition where do you like what is your kind of deeper take on how all that works and and why why we are where we are that kind of thing well i want to first uh make sure we're very clear i'm not going to pretend i'm amazing at this competition <laughs> i am not one of the I mean, like you said, we've never met. Yeah. You don't know my name. No. And I'm not a great. I'm not. I mean, we advance a couple times each season. Um, but what I enjoy about it, well, one, I'm just a very competitive person. So were you just, were you an athlete or I mean, where does the competition side where does the competitive side of you come from? What's that nature come from? It's just genetic. Okay. <laughs> no, I wasn't okay. an athlete. I was I was in band and I was in speech and debate. Okay. So for sure. That, but yeah, I think it's just a yeah. genetic thing. I you what know, they, just they, that they, adrenaline rush is kind of addicting. They call some of those people mathletes or whatever. It's you know, it's, yes, yeah, I was brain. definitely yeah. a mathlete. Yeah. Um, so just I just you know I take board games way too seriously. My husband won't play with me anymore. Okay, that is my <laughs> wife and I to a T. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. So that that's part of it. Uh, the other part is that bonding experience with your kids is so unique. You never get it again in theater. Um, I guess unless you do a Broadway tour, I've never done one of those, but traveling with your kids and then the opportunity to take your work, take it to some of the most respected directors in the state of Texas and get their input on how you can be a better director. Like, whoa, that is some incredible professional development. And the opportunity it gives for my kids to not just get 
theatrical education for me. Um, and we wouldn't get that if it wasn't for one act play. And so I love that. And then I am the most self-reflective as a director after one act. I think it's a little too easy when we're just doing schools that are our show I, shows at our school that the audience loves it. Of course they do. It's their kids on the stage and they don't, especially in my community, they don't know any better. They're not going to see professional theater. They're not going, you know, we're, we're in San Antonio. We don't have a huge theater community. And so they think it's the best thing they've ever seen. And it's very easy to pat myself on the back. And then I go to one act play and I see the work of other theater directors and I see my own work very exposed and I'm getting feedback from judges and I have grown so much as a, a theater director and educator through that process. And so that's what I love about it. And I don't let it get me down. I mean, of course you have that day and you're like, mur, 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 they didn't get it, but, but then I'm honest with myself and I'm self-reflective and I just use it as a growth point. You know, it's, it's, it is what it is. And you try again next year. So what is, do you, do you have a, a method of choosing a show um, besides the obvious of I read scripts and I choose them for my students or is that, kind of what you do or do you have a do you, do you ever have an agenda story that you know you want to tell or uh any anything other than the kind of more obvious selection processes do you have anything like that unique for one act play really I do purposefully within the past few years try to find stories that I don't think are told very much um I do avoid scripts that I think are produced a lot mostly, and it's not a competition, I, I don't want my work compared to other people's constantly. I don't think I'm brave enough to do that. I Kudos to those directors. And that every year, there are scripts at the state meet, right? And those scripts are performed like 26 times a year across the state of Texas. And that director had such a unique vision, they could get it to state. I, I don't know that I'm smart enough yet <laughs> to do that. Um, so, I try to avoid those and I now am working purposefully to think about stories that maybe aren't told as much. So, um, you know, this year we did Yerma. So trying to connect to the heritage of my Latinx students, we are 74% Hispanic at my school and also the story of this woman yearning, right, yeah. for a baby and and a lack of education about her own body. And so um, I like to have those conversations with my students. And I think one act is a really good time to have those because it's not our moneymaker, right. right? Like my musical is probably always going to be a big name, very recognizable because that's, that's my fundraiser. Yeah. And, sure. but one act, that's my art piece. So um, and I can do those in my fall show too. Of course, big casts. I do try to find a big cast show for one act. I haven't always, I've done, I did a three person show a few years ago yeah. with, um, so it's not a hard and fast rule. And especially now that we're allowed to have our full 24, no matter what, I, I don't feel married to that big cast, but I do always try to, if I find a big cast show, I order it or borrow it from someone and at least give it a read but I'm awful. Like I'll start reading a script and like <laughs> within the first 
few pages, if it's not sparking yeah. anything, yeah. I check it over my shoulder sure. and I'm done. Um, I'll come back to it. And sometimes with a different group of kids, now I'm hearing their voices. And now all of a sudden I love that script and I hated it a few years ago, but you know, you have to start to feel like you see the world of the play. Yeah. And if I can't connect with it, I'm not going to want to direct it and I'm not going to want to live in that script for months. So totally agree. That's with my general. Yeah, no, I, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a good, I don't think that's ever been said on here. Uh, and you know, this is like episode 70 something. So, but that's true. You know, I, I'm similar in that, in that fashion. I usually don't do that so much with musicals, <laughs> but yeah, with one act play, it's, if it's not speaking to you right away, you're probably not going to have that passion to make it speak to an adjudicator right away. And you need that because you only have 40 minutes to tell the story. So, um, and we're so busy, yeah. right? Like read it in the summer, but when I'm trying to, I'm not good enough. I mean, you know, there's directors out there that they pick their entire season and they know their one act and they're so organized and they're already researching. I'm like, man, someday yeah. maybe I'll be that good, but I'm not yet. <laughs> Um, I also kind of kids change so much. Mm -hmm. I like to see how they're performing, especially in the fall show. And, and that kind of can help inform a one act choice for me. Yeah. I think there's something to be said to that because we've had, you know, my experience and this will be uh, year 11 for me. Um, my experience is sometimes you, you in May, right. And I've done both. I've cast or I've not cast. I've, I've chosen a season early, way early sometimes because I'm not sure if the rights are going to be there. And so I'd, I'd start that process early, but I also have done it based on the idea of, Oh, this junior or senior or this person will be returning next year as a junior or senior. And then they return and they just, they crap out. They, they've lost motivation over the summer or something happens or even worse, like you just said, kind of, kind of supporting you on this. I've never done this, but I usually always have my season picked out when we walk in day one, but I guess there's something to be said to not knowing your one act play, not feeling like you have to rush because that same person that you're hoping will play lead role, you know, a over here might in November start or, you know, earlier than that, maybe October start being like, eh, I don't know if I want to do this anymore or the senioritis kicks in early, uh, you know? So yeah, that's, exactly. Or they move, you know, we or have they move. military families. Yeah. And so, yeah. I can't always count on yeah. that they're going to stick around. Do you have any extreme stories from that? Like kind of like, oh man, they move and, and no fault of their own, but because military families are just kind of their own own breed. But do you have an example? I do of, for my tech side. Like yeah. we've lost my go-to lighting tech. Thank goodness, knock on wood, never in the middle of one act season, but it, you know, right before and it left us hanging. I I also have the opposite story though. And this kind of, is a good reminder to keep your mind open. I actually came home from a one act play clinic and there was a new kid in my class. And I was like, oh my goodness, I don't wanna deal with a new student. And I had assigned them a project to work on a 30 second snippet of a song from a musical theater show. And so it's performance day because I love performance days because I can just sit back and grade and I don't have to talk and I don't have to check on the kids and it's very easy. So I always schedule those for when I come home and this new kids like I want to perform and I'm like, oh my goodness, they're going to be that kid. I mean, 
uh, this is all in my head, of course. And outwardly, I'm like, yes, of course. How lovely that you've worked something up so quickly. And I'm just, I'm like, they're going to be all in my face all the time. And then they got up there and performed. And I was like, what's your (laughs) cell phone number? Like, call your mom right now. Can you be in my theater program? You're amazing. We have one act play after school. Can you be in the company? And then became you know, one of my go-to kids for my department for their next three years. And what if I had listened to my negative inner voice and not let that kid perform or, you know, checked out. And so I'm always super ugly on the inside, but I try to overcome it because you never know when opportunity is going to knock. Well, you know, there are people, I don't know if you know, Philip Taylor, Uh, I adore Philip Taylor, but he's the, he's one of the fine arts directors in, in Austin, right? And he was my fine arts director down here, assistant fine arts director. But anyway, he's always outwardly so very positive. And and I don't know this to be true, but I want to always think that internally he's just like bashing the heck out of people. And, and I don't, I don't think that's true. And I wouldn't put that on him. Uh, Ricky Bobby, that's a Ricky Bobby thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's the same thing. Like, you know, I think it's more fun to, I'm a huge wrestling nerd, as you can see behind, I don't know if you can see. Well, you can sort of see some things, but you know, they, uh, wrestlers always say, I love being the bad guy. It's easier to be the bad guy. It's easier just to not care. Um, so I think that that's something to say is outwardly. Yeah. As teachers were always like, no buddy, it's okay. Do it. And as a mom too, you know, I do that same as a dad. <laughs> and I'm like, I know for sure my seven-year-old cannot do what she says I'm about to do, but I'm not going to necessarily always just bash her dreams. <laughs> so you know, you don't want to do that with students as well. Um, small world question. Do you know Richard Solis or Solis? No. Solis. Oh, he was a San Antonio prop guy. So, but he, he worked down here for a while in Houston and his way of making props. Now, this is what it's leading to is uh, masking tape was his like, like if he, if he didn't have 10 rolls of masking tape with him, then he was lost and he made everything out of masking tape. I mean, puppets out of masking tape everything and it was crazy what he could do with masking tape so going back it may not be masking tape for you but you said you were a prop person and that's kind of what uh full disclosure on here because we talked about this before but steward kind of turned me on to the idea of, of interviewing you um and he mentioned props as well that you were the, you were a great prop maker and maybe still are i'm assuming i'm assuming you still practice a little bit but what what's kind of do you have like a secret prop thing props i suck at props i can i would rather costume a show than create my own props because i have sausage fingers i i can't i can't like i tried model making when i was a kid and i failed miserably because i just i don't have the i can't just get into the nooks and crannies you know what i mean and with prop making i think you kind of have to be able to, uh, with certain details. So what, what are some like weird tips and, you know, Etsy type things that you would, uh, <laughs> that you would throw out there for prop making, especially in education. Cause you don't always have everything at your disposal. My, well, you know, I'm part of, I think in the professional prop world, at least my experience is we've gotten away from creating things out of nothing in the professional world. It's a lot of searching on eBay, buying the historically accurate, you know, reel-to-reel device, even if it doesn't ever have to function on stage. Um, I one time spent like four weeks researching a refrigerator so we could have the right refrigerator when we probably could have just built one to look like that. 
So I think professional preps now is a lot of shopping. It's not that way in education. Of course, we don't have the money to do that. And so I think one, know your adhesives. You need, there's websites you can look up. I'm sticking this to that. And what's your proper adhesive so that it stays together. Um, my second kind, kind of rule is if someone in the audience is noticing the prop, I haven't done my job. It should completely seamlessly integrate into the world of the play. And so I always say a good prop maker is probably the most underappreciated person on the team because we're just there to support the rest of the design. Um, and we straddle that world, right? Like Sometimes we go hang out and live in costume land. And sometimes a lot of times we're working with the set designer, but sometimes we have to go talk to the Sparkies, the, the electricians and get them to do our practicals. And so we are working to marry that whole design and create the world of the play. And then we also know in theater, most often your props person is doing the set dressing. Um, so yeah. really trying to think of those small details. Uh, Mark Bakel actually tells the story of how he has worked with a designer and they went around with brown paint on their hands and were touching like doorknobs and the edge of walls to make it seem lived in. And I think those little touches, you know, um, if you have a book on stage, maybe creasing the corner of the book, like someone's been reading it, little right. things like that. I also love, love, love making paper props like newspapers. I, I will spend the time to paint or design a correct logo for the cover of a book. And I mean, really, we know probably only the front row of the audience is going to see that, but I think it helps the actor immerse themselves into the world of the play. And so anything you can do to make that a real environment, help the actor sink down into their character, I think as a props person is really, really important. So I'll spend the time and research historically accurate newspaper articles when I'm building a newspaper to for those actors. Um, and then sometimes if I have a good relationship with the actor, I'll slip in a funny uh, article about like the history of toilet paper. If you know, right, like your actor's capable of reading that on stage yeah. and not breaking character, or if they're just reading it in the background and they need something to keep themselves busy, I'll include some funny ones. Sure. So just sure. knowing knowing the needs of your actors, knowing, knowing the needs of the designers, it's really, really, really important that as a props person, you advocate for yourself to be included on all conversations and not necessarily contribute, but you need to sit back and listen to the conversations between the director and the set designer about the concept and the world of the play and the goals, because sometimes things are lost in communication, even if you have the world's best stage manager and you need to hear what the director's wanting and then the, direct, the direction that that set designer is gonna take it so you can support that production. So one of the biggest arguments that I've heard in the world of props and costumes, because because I, I feel like personally props and costumes are like lighting and sound. Like if they were softball teams, they would hate it. You know, like like they, they were they, they're the two like butting heads. So is a pocket watch a prop or a costume? Prop. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But even if it's on the, even if it's on the, what if the costume designer draws it in on their rendering? It's still a the, prop. I guarantee the prop department's going to supply that. Okay. And then the costume department, <laughs> well, the wardrobe department, yeah. will keep track of it for the run of the show. But so it now a watch, over, right? a wristwatch, 
is costume. Okay. So I think, okay, see, this is, <laughs> but even like, even within my students, you know, they'll argue over, oh, well that person, he never puts the hat on. So he holds it the whole time. That means it's a prop. So I don't need to go find it. It's the, it's, it, it, you know, the prop person's supposed to go find, you know, that kind of thing. There's always the, whose responsibility is this um, to go find uh, uh, one, a common one that we had, uh, we did um, Eurydice and she has an umbrella on her most of the time. Um, and, and most of us would think that that's a prop type thing, but the girl that was, or, uh, yeah, the girl that was designing the costume drew it into the costume rendering. So the prop people were like, that's a costume. And we're like, no, it's, it's a prop. Just well, it depends on if it's an umbrella or a parasol. Well, parasols are typically costume right. and umbrellas are typically props. Right. Well, this, in this it's case, it was a, it was a clear umbrella. So it was, it was, uh, like not clearly an umbrella, but a clear umbrella. Uh, because we wanted a lighting thing to happen. But anyway, um, that's kind of fun. But props... And I'll say, if, if it's a good team, that kind of stuff will come up in a production meeting, right? Yeah, so sure. when I work the a summer camp, if the costume department is drowning, typically your set needs were probably lighter because a lot of the design emphasis is being put on costumes. So then I'll help out the costume department more with finding those kinds of things. Um, whereas if set land got super, super crazy and costumes are sort of easier, then um, they can take on some of that stuff. Um, also just hats and umbrellas get stored by costumes a lot. So they might even pull options and then I can pull those more because I'll know the action that needs to happen and present a couple options to the director. So. Yeah. In a perfect world, everyone just works together happily and yeah. holds hands and skips through the park. <laughs> yeah. In the perfect world. Have you been able to keep busy with professional work, with some professional work here and there? No, only yeah. at summer camp. Okay. Okay. Do you... And part of that is just what's available in San Antonio right. that would match up with uh, the time I have available as a mom and an educator. Right. Yeah. I was so. going to, did your time change when you became a mom? I'm assuming yes. You know, like your availability, like you were more yeah. available before. <laughs> but. I had a really unhealthy relationship with work before oh, yeah. I became a mom. Yeah. So, so becoming a mom made it better. Yes. Okay. That's great. That's great. Um, you know, in a, I guess positively, cause now you're, you're there has, are you, what does your husband do, if you don't mind me asking? My husband is a sound engineer. Okay. And so he, he worked, yeah, well, that's how we met. He worked at Dallas Theater Center too. I always tease him. I married him so that I never have to learn how to do sound yeah. stuff because he'll come do it for our musicals. But he now works, well, worked, he's furloughed because of thanks COVID yeah. at a hotel doing AV okay. for a hotel. And, that, and so- your kid is similar to us. My wife is a theater teacher. So your kid is kind of just immersed in the world of entertainment, I'm assuming. And I didn't get it as a boy boy or girl, son or daughter. Girl. Okay, so awesome. Girls are the best. But um, because that's what I've got too. But are you has she already experienced and come up to the school and, and hung out? Oh, and absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, you know, I, I breastfed her. So I would actually go pick her up from daycare and bring her back yeah. to school yeah. during rehearsals. 
um, and go hide myself in the back of the theater while shouting directions to my actors on stage and nursing <laughs> right. with my nursing top. Right. So she's been at school since she was three months old and That's I fun. came off of maternity leave. Um, she was crawling around the theater while we were doing our musical this year and she loves it. And I just am so blessed that my students will incorporate her into our theater family and I have students who are willing to play with her and give yeah, her snacks while I'm directing. I always feel guilty about that. I'm <laughs> like, I don't want you to feel like you're a free babysitter. And they're like, no, we want you to be here for our production. So, um, you know, and I think being honest with my kids has been really powerful too about how hard it is to be a mom and, and to feel that I'm really torn. Um, and then sometimes when I say, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that tonight or, you know, I'm, I'm going to not read more tonight because I need to be a mom yeah. for Rosalind. I just remind myself that even though maybe I'm not being the best director in the moment, ultimately I'm teaching my kids how to be good parents yeah. someday. And many of my students don't have that example. Right. And mm -hmm. so um, I know that that's an important lesson too, even if it means I you know, might not advance in one act. <laughs> yeah, and, and because I'm a male teacher, I get called coach all the time. And, and immediately it's followed up with, Oh, I'm sorry. And I always tell them it's cool, man. I'm, I, I teach how to, how to live life. I'm a life coach because I think that's true with theater. You know, you have to show your barriers. Um, I'm a huge believer in that. Uh, the new school I'm going to, we don't have rehearsals on Fridays. It's not my call, but also I'm not arguing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to fight that fight because it's true. It's, it's teaching the kids like, Hey, you know, we're going to, we're going to do this. We're going to have business. We're going to put on the best show we possibly can with parameters with, you know, we all have lives outside of this and they appreciate that because it allows them as a 15, 16 year old kid to go to a football game. And, you know, we're in Texas. That means a lot. So, um, I think they do learn how to appreciate that. And it's the same We you know, I raised, we raised our kids in the theater as well. Um, and, uh, uh, you can already tell that they're theater kids. So that's funny. What I'm is actually really terrified. My daughter's going to want to be an athlete and then I'm going to have to figure out how to go to her games and support her while being in rehearsal. But I guess we'll cross that bridge. Yeah. When we get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, our, our test was, we put our oldest in, in gymnastics and it lasted about two weeks. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so we tested it out. What is, uh, you mentioned earlier that you do the musicals to make the money, right? So, um, speaking from my experience, we'll do, we'll do a couple musicals that make a lot of money, high school musical, ton of money, right? Uh, Annie, ton of money. Um, Greece, which is weird, ton of money, even though it's controversial, but nobody knows that cause it's fun. But, uh, are, is there a musical or, or a show that you've done um, during your time in education that you were not set out to make a ton of money? If it did, it was fine. But you wanted to do this show, this musical, because it was just time. It was time to, to for you to be able to do something you wanted to do. Um, not our musical, I don't think. Okay. I also have only directed two of the musicals in my time at East Central. Okay. Which so, one? Which which shows? I directed Sound of Music, okay. which I only directed that because my teaching partner left, mm -hmm. and so I took it over. Um, since I didn't know who we were gonna hire to work with me, that made a ton of money. Yeah, Sound of Music did. Yeah. It was hard, and 
yeah. I never want to direct it's, it again, it's but it's, we did make musical. good money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then um, I directed Cinderella last year. Okay. Um, and but with that show, yes, it was Cinderella, but I also set it in Mexico in 1860. Interesting. To try to again bring the culture. So, um, and I actually got that idea from my previous coworker, Abe Ramirez, gave me. He, he wanted to set it in Mexico. And yeah. so when he left, we just carried on with that concept, but it was beautiful. I mean, we had Papel Picado hanging all over the stage for the, you know, the Mercado scene in the market and um, really tried to pay homage to the Mexican culture and make it, you know, yeah. still be a fairy tale. Did so. you add Spanish? No, we okay. didn't. I didn't want to get into legal trouble. Okay. Yeah. Those, those, uh, those those types of you know there are certain musicals that you're like eh, they're not watching but yeah Rodgers and Hammerstein <laughs> they they'll come get not them you know too soon I know right uh, so I got to transition a little bit and then we'll we'll wrap up with something fun but I want to transition to now to current day um, how are you preparing what are you know you mentioned earlier that you were the one in, in March you know uh, whenever this kind of all started that sent out something to your staff to kind of help them out. What are you doing now uh, with school starting and um, being online with kids? What is, what is your unique take on it? What is your way of that, that you're going to go about kind of engaging building? You sound like a relationship person as well, but that's my struggle is uh, you know, the content is fine. I can do that all day, but I, I'm a relationship guy. So, and I, and I can't, I, literally can't touch you and, and make sure that you're okay. You know, I can't give you a hug. Um, and I, that's what I thrive on. Uh, so what is something that you're going to kind of do that you hope works, cross your fingers, knock on wood, whatever that might be. Well, my first commitment comes out of regret that I did not do or try to figure out some sort of virtual way of presenting our one act play that and I think you know that came out of grief and so I'm not mad at myself but I can use it as a learning experience but I I just let that show die I mean we were supposed to go on to our next level and you and we also kept hoping right like maybe we're going to be able to come back maybe this virus isn't as bad as we think and so that hope I think also stalled me out from trying to find a way to present the show to the public my, my parents of my students never saw their work at all. Um, and so out of that regret and feeling like I failed my students, I am determined to create art in the midst of this. Um, it will be streamed. I am planning on creating this art with kids in their own homes. So it's not gonna be like theater that we've ever seen before and that's okay. Um, you know, there's theaters closing around the country and I think we're going to have to adapt or die. And so I know my students will be on the edge of redefining how theater can work in this digital world. So we're going to explore together and I'm going to trust their creativity. We might be writing our own body of work. I do have a play that I had selected in February that was going to be our fall show. And so we'll see if I can get streaming rights. I always do multiple casts for my fall shows. I do a smaller cast show, but I'll have four casts of kids doing that same work. 
Um, so I plan on doing that if that's if that's available. Um, my other, like you, how the, am I going to build relationships in class with kids I've never seen? You know, I'm less worried about my varsity kids because those relationships are established. But these rando theater arts one kids that are coming in and I need those relationships to develop buy-in. So I'm giving myself permission as an educator to spend two to three weeks just playing get to know you games. Um, there's a plethora of resources online for Zoom games. And it, I'm not pretending it's easy because then you have to figure out, okay, but what, what about those asynchronous kids? How do they buy in? And so I, I'm gonna rely on what worked for my master's program through Texas A&M Commerce. We did a lot of online work and I really feel like I built super close relationships with people that I was never in the same room with. And the way we did that was online discussion boards. And so every single day for the first two weeks of class, my kids will be posting responses to an online discussion board in Google Classroom and part of the requirement will be to respond to each other. And if they're not, then I'm gonna be calling them, I'm gonna be emailing that kid, you know, which will also help develop the relationship. But I, I do think those online discussions can be super powerful. And we see that with social media, right? We connect with people we've never met. And so that's what I'm gonna rely on. And I'm gonna take the time. My principal likes to say, we have to slow down before we can speed up. And so I'm gonna slow way down. Um, whereas I might've only spent a week on building those relationships. Now I'm going to probably spend three weeks at least. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Uh, do you know how long you guys are planning on being online? We're told right now yeah. that we're coming back after Labor Day. Okay. But um, that's kind of a common thing right now. I, I'm of a believer and, 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 uh, 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 you know, I say, I've said it before. I don't think we're coming back in the fall. Um, that's just my personal feeling, but I, I know of some schools that I've already said September 8th or whatever that, whatever that date is, um, uh, being the date that they're looking at to come back. And I'm like, girl, <laughs> that, that I don't, I think you're, you're, you're kind of hoping and praying a little too much, but, um, you know, we'll see. So, but that's good. And I think too, we have to remember, okay, so there's kids in our classroom. They're not allowed to get up from their tables, yeah. at least yeah. in my district. They're wearing masks. Yeah. Um, and I still have to plan for those asynchronous learners because people will be given choice yeah. in my district. And so I don't know that the face-to-face -face is going to change anything, except I'll be a little more nervous. <laughs> right. It, yeah. It's almost, it's almost to say, you know, for us as theater teachers, it's almost better for them to be home comfortable in a place that they can, you know, mind you, them standing up and moving far away from the camera is not necessarily the most ideal for us as giving feedback, but at least they're comfortable. And uh, that whole part of like, you know, not getting ill and not getting sick. Um, that's kind of an important part too, I guess some people would say, uh, uh, and that was sarcasm, but um, you know, th that's good. I, I like the idea of spending some time, you know, playing games, uh, off the top of your head. Do you know a resource that you've used, um, 
that has a bunch of that stuff or, or any platform that you've used? I know Facebook has a few pages that uh, teachers are kind of just throwing left and right. They're throwing some of their content into. Uh, but is I there just a place Googled you trust? for games. I the, the search term I used was Zoom games because I thought I was looking for things that corporations have been doing. Sure. You know, yeah, especially yeah. companies stuff. that went immediately into remote work or things that Google does with their with because yeah. they're all about building corporate relationships. So I thought if I used the term Zoom as opposed to Google Meet, which is the platform sure. my school uses, um, and I've just found a ton of resources. I also and I hate to say this because there is a free trial for their premium, but you're, you'd have to pay for it eventually. But right. if it's helpful to someone, but I just want you to know I'm not a salesperson, yeah. um, but I'm finding Pear Deck really helpful um, with the way it will help me toggle between synchronous learners, asynchronous learners. Right. It allows me to have some more interesting student engagement. So I'm really enjoying Pear Deck. Um, Are you but yeah, I... I I think those discussion questions, because how else is an asynchronous learner going to begin to communicate with people who are sure. in the class? Are you going to, for your for your shows, for the stuff that you're going to try to figure out, are you going to do those shows live, quote unquote, or are you going to uh, record them and then kind of uh, clean up different spots? So like if a kid has uh, crappy internet, and it's lagging and they don't say their line until five or six seconds too late. And it's not because they're taking a beat or acting. It's because Comcast sucks or so, you know, something like that. Are you going to do it and then kind of let it clean it up? Or are you going to invite an audience, a digital audience in and let it be done live? My plan is to do it live yeah. because otherwise then we're just film. Yeah. Right. Like I think that live, and honestly, I hadn't thought about the crappy internet problem until you just said it. So um, thanks. Now I'm going to think about that. No, I mean, I think in the same way I'm going to be honest with my students, we've never done this before. Sure. This is brand new to everyone. And so we may try something that might not work and we're going to have patience with each other. I mean, that will be something that might be part of my pre-show announcement to my audience. Like, thank yeah. you so much for joining us on this journey as we explore digitally delivered live theater and, and I think especially when you're performing for your school's community yeah the buy-ins there like they love you they love your kids 90% of them are there probably because they're related to someone in the show anyway um, especially for our fall shows and so I I I'm just hoping they'll forgive any issues like yeah that. I think yeah. you know I th one way I would like to approach it and you know you can call me crazy but I would love to do the live and then, but record it and then let a kid or two or three and turn it into a lesson of film, turn it into now let's clean it up. Now let's take out all the imperfections and make it a film. And then maybe hopefully dramatist or, you know, uh, uh, Sam French or whoever's giving you the rights will allow you to then put it, you know, out there as, as a film, maybe limit it to dates, something like that. But I think that might be a fun way to expand upon, you know, here we've done the live thing, but now let's clean it up to make it, to add sound effects in the background and add, do this and transitions and things like that. So I'm, I'm well, just, I think if you're doing it live, you can also use it as an opportunity for your tech kids sure. to learn about Foley art. Yeah. Um, they can be creating, I mean, if they're in their own homes, that's a little more difficult. 
I do have a plan where if we're allowed to be in person, I'm gonna have the actors spread in different parts of the stage so that they're distanced from each other with cameras on them, yeah. but there's still the sense we're in the same space. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think, yeah, that, that's another thing too. And it's something we discussed actually with, uh, with Texas Thespians was if, if kids are starting to come back face to face, could we lead different workshops while, you know, you have all your officers in one space, socially distanced, masked up, whatever, but at least they're all together and they can feel each other's energy um, and still take part in some of these workshops as a group. Um, and so, yeah, I, I can, I could see that that'd be kind of fun. Um, so I want to, I want to wrap up a little bit cause you've got kids, I've got kids. And I, as I said that you probably, you may have heard a bottle drop. So, <laughs> but, um, so I had, a, I, I'm always curious about, um, people that come from professional world. Cause I came from professional world. Uh, and th there are some educators that are like, I'm done with school onto, onto teaching. And then there's some that don't, you know, they go to the professional world of things. Um, you can either answer this from the professional side or the education side. What is something that you never thought you'd be able to do or a project that was assigned to you or a show or some sort of prop, or I don't want to just limit you to a pro as a prop person, but directing that you felt, oh my gosh, and I would never be able to do this in a million years. And then a million years pass and you have done it and you're proud and you're excited. And, uh, you, you thought I just challenged myself and I completed this task and I can either edit out a pause <laughs> or you have You're an answer. Need to edit out a pause. <laughs> well, my initial response to that, it's probably going to sound cheesy, but I promise you it's genuine. I, I try to put myself in a position where I feel like that after every project. Okay. So after directing our musical in the fall, I was like, whoa, I directed a musical and we had 60 kids and a live orchestra because we just opened a new performing arts center. Like I, I, I never in a million years, 18 year old me, you know, graduating from Lavernia High School, I never would have thought I could have done that or me last year, you know, and then, and then I was like, okay, what's harder than that? I'm going to tackle Lorca, you know, and so and we had a 15 foot tall tree as our set piece. And how do we figure out how to do that within our UIL rules? So I firmly believe that you should always be challenging yourself or you're going to get bored. <laughs> and I don't do well with boredom. Minor wisdom.